Welcome to another episode of Mission Compliance, Unleashing Growth for Defense Contractors. In today's episode, we're shining a spotlight on the evolving landscape of cyber threats and vulnerabilities faced by the by defense manufacturers and discussing the best practices for implementing robust cybersecurity measures throughout the manufacturing process. As technology continues to advance, so, so do the risks associated with cyber attacks. Defense manufacturers play a critical role in safeguarding sensitive data, intellectual property, and maintaining trust of their customers. We'll explore the challenges they face in the ever-changing digital landscape and uncovering the strategies and solutions that can help them stay ahead of cyber threats. Today, I'm here with Michael Frieder again, president of uh, On-Call Compliance Solutions. How you doing, Mike? Hey, I'm doing great, Roman. How about yourself? Good, good. Let's jump right into this. In light of the recent events in the cybersecurity world, today we're tackling cyber threats and how they can affect the defense industry. So, Mike, how, how has the landscape of cyber threats evolved in the defense manufacturing industry over the years? Uh, that's a great question, Roman. And I, I think, you know, when we sort of stretch back, you know, going 15 or, or 20 years ago, you know, the biggest threat that was really going on was sort of, you know, viruses and, and fairly basic rudimentary stuff that could take out one computer or say one server at a time. Those threats eventually evolved to be threats that could, once installed, replicate themselves from one computer to many. And I think that's probably kind of one of the pinnacle turning points where it went from being destructive to being destructive on a wide scale. Uh, and so, you know, from there, you know, it evolved deeper into, you know, the point of, of getting, you know, malware and viruses, et cetera, into computers sort of evolved from being destructive, which to some extent I think was still a goal for some attackers, uh, but it, it ultimately evolved into, hey, wait a minute, let's, we're in these systems and there's some high value stuff and, the attacks really evolved a lot to be able to include, um, you know, being able to packet sniff and detect the traffic that was going on and getting access to files once they were in the networks. And so it, it sort of shifted a little bit from the immediate intent being destruction to the immediate intent being, you know, essentially information triage and espionage. Uh, so essentially trying to steal our information. And I think that's really something that uh, was a big transition in the defense industry because all of a sudden it wasn't just that they were trying to destroy our systems, uh, especially for defense contractors. It was that they wanted to get in and hang out for a while and see exactly how people were operating and what the solutions were. And it was, um, you know, a pretty big deal, pretty big deal. So uh, at that point, I think that's when you see about, you know, 15 plus years ago, uh, you know, it started to become much more state sponsored. It started to become much more organized the value of what they were getting was way higher because now all of a sudden you've got a lot of intellectual property at stake. Um, and, and that was the beginning of what I would call the modern day evolution in cyber attack. From there, you know, we kind of got into a situation where we could track the bad guys because they leave footprints that were fairly obvious. Uh, and we could go and track them down and sort of hunt down the bad guys and go kill them, uh, so to speak. And they realized they needed a better way to cover their tracks. And then at that point, they recognized the value of ransomware. And ransomware is, I guess, in the world of cyber, believe it or not, still somewhat of a new concept. I mean, compared to the basic virus and things like that, 
Um, ransomware is a relatively new practice over the last 10 to 15 years. So um, it's really come become very popular for two types of attackers. One is the private for-profit pirate, I'll call it, right? So your, your, your typical cyber criminal who is after money. They're after getting you to pay the ransom. They're after getting you money. They really don't care about your information. That's something they could sort of expose who they really are. And, um, you know, if they can sell your information, great. If they can pull it off, but they're smarter than that. A lot of times they recognize fully that there are more intensive reasons, uh, you know, that they can that they can get behind for doing the attack. So, you know, that's one type of attacker. The second one that I think sort of evolved out of the shadows is the state-sponsored attacker, attacker who is really after... Um, they're after information. They're after finding out what we're going, you know, what we're what we're doing behind these firewalls. And uh, it's, you know, in some cases exploratory, but in a lot of cases, it's purely meant to seek and destroy and understand what we're doing behind our firewalls. Um, again, a lot of state sponsored. I think every major government has some sort of a cyber warfare division at this point in the world. And it's recognized, frankly, to be even more effective in some cases than actual literal warfare, physical bombs and, and bullets and missiles and things. So with that has also come the evolution of our standards here. So, you know, in 2017, uh, Dara, Nars, and NIST kind of got together and they put out NIST SP-800-171. The government liked it so much, they said, hey, we're going to make it law that people comply with this because it works so well to protect systems and this is sort of the basics of information safeguarding. So I'll call that 2017, the good guys finally started fighting back is perhaps maybe the easiest way to really describe this. Um, and they made it into a law and they've sort of forced people to have what is considered to be good cyber hygiene. Um, and now, you know, with CMMC, of course, they're mandating, at least in the defense world, uh, that people not just do this, but then have a third party come in and actually really look over this. And I have to tell you, there's just so much to it uh, that you really need a third party to look over it. I mean, even, even if you're a seasoned IT admin, you know, the breadth of cybersecurity expertise and frankly, understanding how the puzzle goes together to provide a proper security umbrella, it's not easy and it's different for every system. And I think the idea of having a third party involved is really, really good. So I think we're also evolving from IT security on the system side being a sort of free for all or a you know, we hope we hire the right IT guy that can figure out cybersecurity to a realization that real security is a team sport, much like you would have a police force and there are people with different jobs in the police force. Mm -hmm. You really need a team of people working together to secure yourself against these incredibly well-organized attacks. So, uh, you know, I think you're sort of seeing a couple of things. One is the evolution of the attack and the danger. It gets worse and worse every day, no doubt about it. But then you've also got, you know, the evolution of the good guy side or the policing side of this saying, hey, look, you know, there's just certain things you have to do uh, very much like pulling a building permit and, 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 uh, and making it so that certain businesses have to have alarm systems. Uh, I would consider that to be the same thing. You're not going to have a school without an alarm system uh, and an emergency response system. You can't have a business network that participates in defense work without the same sort of thing. So. Uh, I think that's kind of how, you know, a good, a good synopsis of how these things are evolving. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that's a lot of good information about, about where we've come as far as, as far as cyber threats and the, and the, and the security to come to, to combat that. On-call compliance solutions is an industry leader in helping businesses and defense contractors make sense of and fall in line with the many rules and regulations of compliance, which is 
And a big part of those rules and regulations focuses on cybersecurity measures and and shoring up potential vulnerabilities. So so you may have touched a little bit on this in your previous answer, but what would you say are the are the some of the most common cyber vulnerabilities faced by defense contractors today? That's that's a really phenomenal question. You know, we have kind of a hot list at our company that we watch out for uh, and train a lot of our engineers on. Um, the first thing is, uh, if you've never gone through uh, some of this compliance stuff before, I think the first thing is understanding that um, you've you've got to have a SIEM system. And if you don't know what SIEM is, it's a security information and event management system. It is essentially a system that pulls all of the log files in from key devices like firewalls and servers and computers and essentially puts all of that log information about what's going on in real time with those machines into some sort of centralized uh, system, which will then parse out that information and create meaningful notifications and warnings for the IT admins. Um, I'll, I'll share with you that from an IT administrator perspective, when you put an antivirus on a machine, it doesn't really mean that the antivirus is going to be able to save you from every attack. A lot of times the way these attacks are really uh, sort of coming about is uh, you'll just see a permission change. You know, John Smith in accounting goes from a power user to a full administrator of the system. And that's not anticipated. It wasn't ordered. There's no ticket to back it up. There's no evidence that it would have happened, in fact, unless you have a SIEM system in place. So the first evidence of attack, you really need an early warning system. And I think it's the biggest thing we advocate. And frankly, it's just mandated for compliance. I remember years ago, I had a conversation with a guy named uh, Gus or Gary Jassane. Uh Gary, you know, essentially wrote 70% of NIST SP-800-171. And I remember emailing back and forth with him and, and talking with him and saying, well, is there some way that you can be compliant without a SIEM system? And he said, no, that's the whole point. Nobody uses these things and they are early warning systems. And it's the only way to really understand if there's an attack going on. And I think that's the biggest thing is you've, got to understand that just installing CrowdStrike or, you know, um, you know, Sophos endpoint management or, you know, one of the FortiGate solutions or whatever, whatever your flavor of choice when it comes to antivirus, none of that is going to help you if somebody has administrator credentials into the system. Okay. So very much like your home, if somebody's got the key to get in uh, and they've got the alarm codes, nothing's going to happen. There's going to be no notification. There's an intruder hiding in the closet waiting to get you. It's pretty scary stuff. And that's how these attacks really happen. So uh, I think one is, is understanding that you've got to have something that knows to look for things like changing permissions, uh, people accessing the system at strange times. Uh, I'll tell you, when we do network documentation for clients, they're very, very surprised to find that we run reports on when people are logging in. And we have certainly found reports where it indicates that a user who may be a low-level user or a user that would not ordinarily be logging into the system at two or three o'clock in the morning is logging in at two or three o'clock in the morning. Well, a lot of Americans don't know this, but you know those hours late at night happen to be the Russian daytime hours. And, and again, it's nothing against Russians, but that's when their government is operating, uh, and that's when a lot of these you know sort of state-sponsored attacking groups that's their daytime hours. So there are strong indicators that can be gained from those log files. Uh, but, you know, there's so many log files that can produce, get produced, even in a small network from so many devices, you have to have something that's aggregating and looking for those key things like permission escalation. Uh, other, other indicators, again, are, are things like, uh, you know, weird events happening at weird times or, 
you know, if you've got a script that's a runaway script that is just constantly trying to peg for logins inside of your network, that could be the sign of a brute force attack. Sure, it's probably most likely to be a script gone sideways, but, you know, you have to investigate these things. And without the resources to do that, I think it's very difficult. Um, you know, what are some of the other common vulnerabilities that we see? Uh, we see widespread use of, of RDP or remote desktop protocol being used without a multi-factor authentication token. Um, if you're using RDP, even if it's internally and it's not guarded by a multi-factor authentication token, the problem that you have to understand is that when someone gets into your network, it could even be just VPN access, they can use packet sniffing to sniff out those passwords. So once they're in and once they've got something that can, they can uh, monitor that traffic, it is only a matter of time until someone types in their password and gets to a point where that password is, uh, is sniffed and you're in a whole world of trouble without something else being a multi-factor authentication token that's tied to time, um, you know, being in the way. I think another one is users. I think the users are, are always a big challenge as any IT person will tell you. Um, listen, in the nicest way I can say it, users are really, really good at what they do. And computer operation is something that is a secondary means to an end for them. Uh, they're not cybersecurity experts. They don't know what phishing emails look like, and you have to train them. They don't really understand a lot of this, you know, information security stuff, and they can't be expected to because, you know, when they're, you know, again, like a, a quality engineer or something like that in a manufacturing plant, believe me, those guys have enough with continuing education and just getting, you know, the, the job done on time. Uh, you can't expect them to be cyber experts. So I think you have to do some level of training, and I think organizations, particularly in defense today, have to understand that if you're going to play in defense, you're going to have to make room for some of that training. And I'll tell you, in our program, uh, when we're working one-on-one -on -one with clients, we're maybe spending about an aggregate of two to two and a half hours per year per employee on training. It doesn't have to be a whole lot, but they do have to be aware of what they're getting themselves into. So I think that's a good, a good solid top three. I can certainly give you a, a many, many more. But uh, I think those three alone, if you can shore those up, it's probably going to take care of a good proportion of the threats that, uh, that that every organization faces. I mean, listen, you you kind of un, unwittingly springboarded into my third question. Um, for for those familiar with with On Call's YouTube page, Mike uh, has a series of videos where he breaks down each CMMC control one by one. And another common thread in many of these regulations is the importance of proper employee training. What what role does employee training and awareness play in mitigating cyber risks within defense manufacturing organizations? Uh, great question. And, and, and you're right. I mean, we're kind of playing right in there, right? So uh, I think that, you know, employee training is second only to system hardening. So in other words, there are just basic fundamental things. I think, you know, most of them are listed out in NIST SB 800 I don't think you have to really look at another standard for it. Uh, if you follow what is there from a from a system hardening or a security pr perspective, just follow the controls and what they tell you to do. I think you'd be in great shape, you know, I, from a from a security standpoint. Then I'm going to tell you your number one threat is your users. Um, phishing is the most common way that any attacker gets in. Users have to be trained that you can't just click on anything in an email. Email is the biggest attack vector I think we have. Um, really at all. Uh, you know, most attacks ultimately start by a probing, really good looking phishing email, getting someone to either put in their credentials 
or magically getting them to somehow get in touch with someone on a quote-unquote tech support uh, front, which allows for a tech support person to remote into uh, their system and gain control and start proliferating software and all kinds of really nasty stuff. Uh, on that note, I think users just have a severe lack of training in our experience that they do not allow people from third-party vendors into their system for technical support. You can't do that, um, especially when they've got a thick accent. And again, I'm not, not trying to be sort of you know uh, racist or, or, or anything like that. But again, there are just common indicators out there. Uh, again, what we advise clients to do in our trainings is we say, hey, listen, if you have to have somebody that's remoting into your computer to fix something, your senior IT person better be present. It can't be the end user and they must be trained because again, the average user working from home, uh, look, these are the same people that you know often let tech support people in from outside on their home computer and they have to be trained that that's not okay at work. Uh, I just can't count the number of times that even my own father, in fact, uh, you know, especially as he was getting older, would let people into his computer. And it's incredible the campaigns these these criminals run. I mean, they are telemarketing and calling. They're saying they're from Microsoft. We've all heard the call before. Um, and uh, again, it's it's scary. It's very frightening to me because Dave um, from customer service. That's right, Dave from customer service. Dave right? from customer service. And uh, you know, or Dave from Microsoft licensing, you're being audited, right? I mean, that's even scarier. So, you know, they, they try to sometimes scare people by telling them that they're doing a software audit. They need to go remote into their machine and check and see if the software they've got is valid. You know, and of course, the prideful person is going to say, "Well, of course, you can let me in. I paid for all this stuff." And they just have no idea. So, uh, user training, huge, huge, huge. Um, again, I think it's a number two attack vector. Uh, you know, right, right behind just blatantly open vulnerabilities, which are so easy. Um, again, doubling back just a little bit, you also have to do training with the IT people. Um, I will share with you that a great majority of defense contractors that are uh, that are not large enterprise class. So think, you know, 500 employees and less, thousand employees and less. We walk into those people having wide open firewalls. They do not have deny by exception. Uh, these are highly, uh, you know, sort of stressed people that really, um, you know, they're under the gun, right? I mean, they're overworked, uh, you know, they're under-resourced, you know, there may only be one or two IT people in the organization, they're chasing down tickets, and they're just literally trying to keep the wheels on the truck. They don't really have time to review cybersecurity. So what they do is they try to go get the best cybersecurity solution that, that you know, the money will buy. And then they just sort of plop it in place and they don't set up monitoring. They don't set this stuff up beyond defaults. Um, and, and that's even more dangerous because then they think they're secure and they've got no idea that the reality is a lot of these, a lot of these cyber solutions, they're not going to work with default settings. They're not going to provide the protection advertised without it being tailored to their system. And worse, uh, and this is something that I'm a huge advocate of when it comes to training Boy, if you're an IT person and you plop in a solution, you know, and again, I'm not going to really sort of name any particular solution, but any solution that's cybersecurity oriented, we strongly advocate having the person who installed it go back to the vendor for a quick tech support call to say, hey, would you mind looking at this system with me and making sure that it's actually implemented correctly? That is a, to me, that's obvious fundamentals to most IT people who haven't been doing this for 20 years like we have. That is like a brand new concept. That is, you know, like like uh, a a radio signal from the moon 
Um, they just don't think about this. And the amazing thing is all these vendors out here are so great. They offer the free tech support. Why wouldn't you make sure that the product is installed and configured correctly? A lot of times these things have dozens, if not hundreds of settings, and it just makes sense to us to work with the vendors. I, I will, in fact, tell you that uh, we're a really, really big fan of Sophos. Uh, we work very, very uh, closely with Sophos for a lot of our security and I have to tell you, we're on the phone with Sophos every single day. Every time we set up a new client, Sophos is looking over our shoulder to make sure the install went correctly, the settings are okay. Uh, we work with our MTR program to uh, constantly monitor along with us on these threats. Um, it is a close relationship that we have with our cybersecurity vendors. And even if you're really, really small, you should be in the same place. Uh, but again, most IT people are trained uh, from the ground up. You know, in, in other words, they don't really have uh, an overall picture of how IT should be run, even in a small organization. So, you know, what's their real training? Well, it's on-the-job training and fixing stuff when it breaks and putting out fires. <clears throat> there's, there's oftentimes, you know, a situation that exists where IT people just don't have that holistic view of IT security in the way it's supposed to be. Uh, and that's another thing that we find that we help ourselves or, or help our clients a lot with is the overall cybersecurity picture and just bringing in that compliance-based or that standards-based approach. So, you know, if it's been a long time since you, if you're the IT person, or, you know, perhaps maybe if you have an IT person on staff has been to a continuing education and training, particularly for cybersecurity, I'd highly encourage you to make sure that you slice out a little budget for that. You know, they need to be going to a conference every year. They need to be upping their skills. Uh, it's a great way to retain them. It's a great way to take care of them. And uh, again, it's just really necessary when it comes to cybersecurity to keep that knowledge up to date because it is always evolving. Right. Long, long story short, you got to be aware of those scam calls. You got to know about phishing emails. You're not going to get a call from 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 Dave from Microsoft Tech Support if you don't have a have a Microsoft computer. You're not going to get an email to you're not going to get an email to your work computer because you've won. Uh, concert tickets from a contest you never entered these are just things you have to be aware of to help to help mitigate the risks of cyber of cybersecurity. so so with that being said mike we've we, we've now asked three questions we've done a few episodes of this now you know what's next <laughs> we're gonna have a little bit of fun uh so when it comes to cybersecurity, is it true that wearing a tinfoil hat can protect me from cyber attacks Oh my goodness. I have to tell you a story because I'm, 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 I have to tell you a story. This is, you know, many, many oh years ago. Um, I do have a story about this. So, you know, 15 years, it's gotta be 15 years ago. Um, I was, you know, more traditional MSP work. Uh, we're up there in the Norfolk, Virginia beach area, obviously a lot of military presence up there. And I am uh, with a, a young trainee. I think this, uh, this guy was maybe 21 or 22 and, you know, I said to him, I said, hey, look, do you, do you want to learn to sell? Uh, do you want to kind of like learn how to how to do the solution engineering side? He was very excited about it. I said, cool, I'm going to take you with me to a couple of sales calls. So we go on site and we start doing sort of the discovery interview, if you will, learning about this person's system. We're on the top floor of a very nice office building. And um, we're we're just going through, you know, our typical routine. And I'm, I'm showing our trainee exactly how it goes. And some of the questions just really start coming back kind of funny. Uh, and, and so we sort of go, you know, we're like maybe five, 10 questions deep into this. And all of a sudden, he, this guy just gets up from the table 
And he walks over to the to the windows, very nice conference room, uh, very spacious, walks over these windows, floor to ceiling windows, and he starts looking down and he goes, can you secure me against them? And I I'm thinking to myself, I could probably secure you against anybody. Like that's no problem at all. And, and then like, for whatever reason, it just dawned on me that I needed to ask the question. I had to ask the question. So I said, well, I'm sure that I can, who's them. And it was really an innocent question. And then he goes and he just, he points down to the street, you know, like, I don't know, 15, 20 floors below. He points the street and he just goes them. And I, I say, okay. I walk over to the window with him and I say, who's them? And he goes, them. And he just points down. I'm like, the car's down there? And he's like, yeah, them, all of them. I'm not sure which one it is, but it's them. And I think to myself, this is out of control. This, like, something's off here. I say, okay. And, and so I have nothing left to say to him other than, yes, absolutely. Definitely secure you against them down there. No problem at all, sir. And we sit back down and we go through a couple more questions and the answers just really start getting more and more bizarre. And Finally, I'm thinking to myself, this poor trainee, I'm thinking, first off, my someone at my office pranked me. There's no way this is even real. I, no, I, you I start look, looking for the candid camera, right? Yeah. I, seriously, I'm looking for the candid camera, and I'm looking at, at my at my trainee at that time. I'm looking at him. I'm, I'm looking for him to start cracking a smile, and he's dead serious. I mean, he's into it. He's, like, excited to learn, um, you know, and I'm like, there's no way that he could possibly keep character if this is a joke. So then I'm thinking to myself, someone at my home office put me up to this. There's, it's got to be like they heard I was going to go train this guy and they're messing with me. Pretty elaborate, pretty elaborate. Um, and so uh, I I kind of realized this is not going to go anywhere positive. I say, hey, cool. Can I, you know, and so at this point in time, you know, we like to take an office tour, kind of see the server room. Can you just show me around? Because I'm thinking to myself, I don't even know what to do with this guy. This guy's nuts. And let me let me go find other employees around here to just like, I don't know, head check them and see what's going on. So he takes me for a tour and I cannot make this stuff up. Uh, to this day, I just all think it's one big joke, but there was a massive cardboard box in an office that was covered in aluminum foil. And I asked him, I said, hey, what's that? Now we're used to doing manufacturing facilities. We're used to dealing with, you know, all kinds of clients, labs uh, and traditional office space type clients. But never have I ever seen a giant massive cardboard box you know, yeah. the only thing I can figure out is maybe there's like some kind of an ITAR restricted project in there. I mean, like, because there are some weird stuff that you see in defense contracts. Right. Sure. And so there is literally a massive cardboard box and there is like a stool there and a laptop on the floor. And I just, I just am doing everything I can to not crack up. And I, I asked him, I said, hey, what's that for? Like, what goes on in that room? And he goes, that's my office. I said, where's your desk? He goes, I don't have a desk. I work in that box. And at this point, I'm like, I'm doing everything I can to not lose it. I don't even know what's going on. And I go, huh, that's interesting. How come the box is wrapped in aluminum foil? I mean, I'm trying. I'm like dying. I'm trying to come up with some kind of relevant You're question. trying to take it seriously, but he's not giving you a lot. This guy is dead serious. And I have to tell you, there were very, very few people in the office. Um, very few people in the office. I did spot the CEO of the company. And I gave him like the weirdest stare and he seemed pretty normal about it. So finally the guy basically is like, well, you know, I work in this box because basically the aluminum foil protects me from, you know, them spying on me. Um, so 
you know, we at that point I finished up the physical tour. I said, hey, I'll send you a quote. And I, I said, I'll see you later. And I, it took me a little while to um, it took me a little while to kind of piece together what I think happened. Uh, you know, I, I believe what I believe happened is that the company had lost a very large government contract. And I personally think that the CEO of that company was taking care of an employee who had, who had probably had a mental breakdown. You know, sometimes these things happen. I don't have another explanation for it because I went back and interrogated my team about this to find out. I, I really thought it was a prank. But uh, I, I believe that this guy was just one of those, you know, office space style employees that had maybe perhaps kind of gone off the deep end. And then to make matters worse, I think the company had downsized substantially uh, because we had talked about it. And, and apparently this was a much larger company before. Certainly they were in nice office space and it seemed like they were hanging on for dear life anyway. But uh, anyway, to answer your question, uh, I'm no expert, but apparently aluminum flow was protecting that guy. So you never know. Everything you from them, right? <laughs> from them from all from of them. them that's right that's and that's a phenomenal story i'll, I'll just say that <laughs> and that wraps up another insightful episode of mission compliance we hope our discussion today has provided you with valuable insightful and practical strategies and inspiration to navigate the ever-evolving world of defense we'd like to extend our appreciation to mike for joining us thanks for joining us again mike for another great As episode always. But the conversation doesn't end here. We we encourage you to continue exploring these topics and connect with us on our social media channels. Share your thoughts, ask questions, and, and engage with fellow listeners by using the hashtag Mission Compliance Podcast. You can also visit our website, missioncompliancepodcast.com, for show notes, transcripts, and bonus content. If you haven't already, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to be the first to know when new episodes are released. And we'd truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show. Your feedback helps us continue to bring you thought-provoking episodes and high-quality content. Jo join us again on the next episode of Mission Compliance as we delve further into the dynamic world of defense, security, and industry innovation. Until then, take care, stay informed, and make compliance your mission.